0: Before I begin, I want to talk to you about probably, I want to tell you one of the most difficult days that I've had. It was probably about 14 years ago, Becky and I and our kids were living in Central Florida. And Becky called me at work to tell me that the school had, or she called to tell me that Nick was missing. That just a little while earlier, two police officers showed up in front of our house to tell Becky that the school lost Nick and they had no idea where he was gone where he was. Some of you know Nick, Nick has severe disabilities. He's he's nonverbal. he doesn't understand instructions, he would not be safe to cross the street, and the school lost him. So the police were at our house to inform us that Nick was missing and they had no idea where he was at. Also to tell us that that helicopter that's flying above our house is actually looking for Nick right now. See, what happened was his aide brought Nick to his bus stop to get on the bus ride home from school and she just left him there. She never got him on the bus. She's brought him a bunch of kids to Andy Eli to let him stand there and she walked away. Well, Nick did exactly what we would predict he would have done. He found the next bus that that was there and he walked on that bus and got inside. But nobody had, had any idea where he was or what was going on. So as you can imagine, we're a little panicked, whereas Nick, I think what made us nervous is a lot of many reasons. I mean, Nick Nick could not cross the street safely, but what also made us nervous is when we knew where Nick would be, he would find a lake or he'd find a pond or retention pond and go swimming. Nick liked to swim. And so we thought if he's anywhere, he's gonna be in one of the many, if you've been to Florida, you know, there's, well, in Michigan, you don't call them lakes. You call them like little puddles all over. And we knew if Nick walked from his school, tried to figure out how to get home, he would have found a pond or puddle to go swimming in. The problem was we weren't nervous about Nick swimming. Nick could jump in Lake Michigan and probably swim to Chicago with no problem. The problem is all the very hungry alligators that are on all the lakes and ponds throughout central Florida. So we were pretty nervous that day and they were sending out cops and sheriffs to look in every pond every lake while we sat at home and fortunately well you know the end of the story they did find him but it's interesting what happened that day is it's pretty much a miracle see nick normally nick 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 doesn't take naps nick kind of gave up sleeping at about a year old and decided that's not this not necessary what nick did was he got on the wrong bus and he went and he sat way in the back of the bus, which is unusual because normally he's in one of the first two seats with one of his aides. And he got on the bus and he went and he f- went in the back seats and he fell asleep. So the bus driver pulled into the parking garage after it brought all the kids home. He parked the bus, he turned it off, and this little blonde head popped up. And there was Nick. So, as you can imagine, we're pretty happy. But it's an interesting story because I think it just shows us the faithfulness of God, that he's with us at all times, that the only reason that Nick didn't end up in danger is because God was surrounding him that, that day. There's no other reason or explanation for it because Nick is a wanderer. Nick doesn't sleep. Our expectation was if Nick got on the wrong bus, he would have got off at the very first stop. That would have been him. Get off. He's always in a hurry. But he stayed on to the very end, and it's a good story. I mean, it just shows you the faithfulness of God to surround us at all times. When I think of that story about Nick, I mean, it reminds me a lot of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, we know we, all, we usually call it the... the the heroes of the faith, or we call it the hall of fame. It's about all these heroes in the Bible who had tenacity and boldness to persevere no matter what challenge was ahead of them. That chapter talks about Sarah and Noah and Abraham and Rahab. It talks about these people that had incredible faith, faith that had to deal with incredible, incredible difficulties, but they continued to persevere. They continued to follow God even though everything was stacked against them. And it's interesting because when you go to Hebrews chapter 12, it opens by saying this. It says, Therefore we are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat at the right hand of the throne of god i read that verse last week and i'm reading it again because i want to talk about two words that are in that little passage that i read and that's the word pioneer and perfecter of our faith See, in Hebrews 11, the author is showing us these people that had incredible faith that could pursue during difficulties and hardships. And then the author is telling us that in Hebrews chapter 12, the reason they could do it is because Jesus was the author and the perfecter of their faith. See, Jesus is the pioneer of our faith or the author of our faith. That means he goes before us. Jesus is always before us. He's always leading the way. He's one that initiated our salvation. He's he's leading the way for us. And then as a perfecter of our faith, Jesus is the one that's behind us at all times. He's always behind us, pushing us towards our goal. We see in that chapter that the reason that those people could pursue and have huge faith is because Jesus was ahead of them and he was behind them. And that's a beautiful picture for us to see that Jesus is ahead of us and behind us because that builds confidence for us. To know that Jesus is always leading, he's always following up behind us to make sure that we complete what we need to do but then it raises a question well who's on your side is anybody on your side we know in our culture we say a lot we we know it's comforting to say yeah I got a friend that's walking next to me or I have a spouse that's walking next to me some of us our big goal in life is to find someone who will be at our side when we need that person the most I want to talk today about the character of Jesus, that he is not only a before us and behind us, but he's also at our sides. The Bible tells us that Jesus is also our advocate, and he's also our intercessor. To intercede means that you go on behalf of us to someone else, that Jesus is praying to God daily for us, but as an advocate, he comes along on our side when we need him the most. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus is still working on our behalf. See, so you ask a lot of people, what's Jesus doing right now? And they kind of think, huh, oh, I'm not really sure. I think sometimes we think, well, Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, went back to heaven. Well, maybe he's just kind of done. Maybe he just, he's just in heaven, but he, he, he's done. He, he did what he was supposed to do. He's, he's kind of retired. But Jesus is actively involved in our life today as an advocate and as an intercessor. It's important that we see that because it helps us to understand how much Jesus loves us and cares for us. He didn't just love us and care for us back when he was on earth and walking around with his disciples. He still does. See, we often talk about Jesus in the, Old, in the New Testament that he, he loved to be with sinners and loved to encourage sinners. Jesus still does the same thing today. In fact, Jesus is still fully God and fully man. He didn't go to, go to heaven and like, he just became fully God again. He still carries that attributes of being fully God and fully man. That's why he still is our priest. It's so important that we see that Jesus is still in that form because that's why he still has great compassion for us. And I understand why we don't understand. We don't we don't talk a lot about jesus as an intercessor and advocate we we remember jesus that that he paid the that he was the atonement for our sins and we remember that jesus justified us before god but it's important that we put jesus in his proper place of understanding that he is our intercessor and advocate and he's still doing for us things on a daily basis See, John 12, verse 32, there's a verse that says, or Jesus says, when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Jesus is saying, when I am lifted up, other people will be drawn to me. And Jesus is referring to when he's lifted up on the cross, or he's lifted up in the resurrection, or he's lifted up in his ascension to heaven. But the principle is there. Anytime that Jesus is lifted up and we talk about Jesus in his properly when we talk about what Jesus is doing it draws people to Jesus because you're like wow that's pretty amazing what Jesus is doing the attribute of Jesus is something powerful that I want to listen to and I want to follow so that's why we're paying so much attention to these attributes of Jesus in this series because it draws us to Jesus and makes us want to purge our life of any sin we are going to talk about two verses today, just two verses. One that's going to talk about Jesus, the intercessor, one in Jesus, the advocate. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, there's a verse that says, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. There's your verse about Jesus lives forever to intercede for us on our behalf. That on a daily basis, Jesus is praying for us that Jesus is constantly praying for us, that he never stops praying for us. I think the big question is why? Why does Jesus have to pray for us on a daily basis? The fact that Jesus is praying for us on a daily basis shows us one important thing. I'll talk about three things, but one main important thing is it shows us our daily need for Jesus. We don't stop needing Jesus the day we got saved. We don't stop needing Jesus the day that we kind of got our life back together. And Jesus is still involved in our life on a daily basis. And we need him. And that's why he's praying for us on a daily basis. A couple days ago, Becky and I were talking about this verse and talking about this message. And she said to me something. She said, it made a really good point. She said, you know, so often our view of maturity is when we no longer have any needs that we think somehow or another that we can become, that maturity means self-sufficiency, that we can get to a place where we think that I can do it all by myself, that we found a way to manage every single one of our needs by taking care of them on our own. We often think that that's a sign of a mature person. Now, that should not come as any surprise. We kind of know what is kind of the first sentence that most toddlers say, I can do it by myself. We're kind of programmed to think, when I have independence, I can do it by myself. I've kind of reached a milestone. And Becky went on to say that, you know, in Christianity, a sign of maturity is when you recognize your needs and you go to Christ to meet all your needs. That a sign of maturity is when you recognize these needs that you have and you go to Jesus to meet your needs when you recognize that you have a need for love or acceptance or encouragement or to feel included, that you go to Jesus to meet those needs and and you stop looking for everybody else to meet all of your needs. You recognize that other people cannot meet needs that you have that only Christ can meet. That's a sign of maturity. Or a sign of maturity is when you stop pretending that all of your needs are met that they're all met in Jesus, but honestly, if somebody said, well, what needs is Jesus meeting for you? You're like, I really don't know. See, maturity is recognizing the needs that you have and going to Jesus to meet the needs. The truth is, every single one of us is on a journey to learn how to have Jesus meet every single one of our needs. It's a struggle for us not to do it on our own, not to be self-sufficient. I think sometimes self-sufficiency is one of our greatest obstacles in life. See, if you go to most psychiatrists or counselors, they're going to talk to you about core needs. They're going to talk about every person has needs. Different counselors will have different leads, lists of core needs and things that we have to have. Like, we all need to feel loved or affirmed. We need to feel included. We need to feel accepted. We need to, we need to feel noticed, We need to feel like we have some power in our life. We need to feel like we have justice in our life. We need to have fairness. See, we're all born with needs and desires and wants. And often we think one of our biggest needs is to find somebody else to meet the needs that we have. Or we think one of our biggest needs in life is to actually find a job that is going to bring the most, be so fulfilling for me that I'm satisfied. Or we might think my biggest need is actually to find the right hobby that brings me identity. Or maybe I find the right vacation that's going to give me identity and purpose. See, we can all spend our entire life looking for the right person or the right place or the right thing or right vacation to make us feel whole and complete. But the truth is we will never find our wholeness and completeness outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only on the day that we got saved, but on a daily basis. We need to find wholeness in our relationship with Jesus. We need to find that Jesus meets every single one of our needs. That's why maturity is getting in touch with the needs that you have in going to Christ on a daily basis and having Him meet those needs. I think every one of us in this room and online, every one of us deals with a little bit of insecurity. Some of us may deal with a lot of it and some maybe just a little bit of it. A lot of us have this need to fit in, to be included, to be accepted. Sometimes when you don't fit in or you don't feel included or accepted or loved or you feel like when I'm a group of people, like I don't measure up, those can be hard feelings to experience. And a lot of times we try to talk ourselves out of this feeling of insecurity or other people try to talk us out of feeling insecure. A lot of times when you talk to other people about your insecurity, they, they try to encourage you and say, no, you shouldn't feel that way. Sometimes we try to therapy people out of their insecurity. Now, I'm all for therapy. I think it's a good thing. I think counseling's a great, great thing. But not at the expense of minimizing your need for Jesus. See, at the end of the day, the insecurity that we have, that wholeness is only going to be found through Jesus meeting that need. Maybe friends or families or jobs or vacation can kind of complement what Jesus is already doing, but that need needs to be met by Jesus. That need is only going to calm down once you have the relationship with Christ to meet your needs. See, that's one of the big goals for all of us is to understand the needs that we have and not ignore those needs that we have. See, often what, what, when we look at the sin that we have, we wonder why do we sin? Sometimes it's the need behind that we're trying to fulfill. That's why it's important during, for us during this series where we're really looking at sin and we're focusing on repentance to say, well, what causes me to do that? What drives me to do that? Sometimes that's the need that only Christ can minister to. I think for me, probably one of my biggest needs is that sense of security to feel safe and secure, not just physically safe, but emotionally safe, to know that things are going to be okay, to know that long-term things are going to be okay. I can get be anxious very, very quickly, worrying about the future, worrying about my kids, how is this going to work out? See, when I don't feel safe or secure, when I feel very vulnerable, what's going to happen to me is it's very predictable. I'll start becoming a little bit controlling, Becky nods her head. If that doesn't work, then need to be a little manipulative to try to make things work out. Eventually, it's going to lead to anger. Usually, anger is kind of the notice mark for me, like, okay, something's wrong. You're doing something wrong. When I'm finding this internal anger start to rise up. See, I think for me, for the longest time, I thought my insecurity was, was kind of a, was a, was a, like a demon to fight, that it was the worst thing possible to have an insecurity, that the insecurity was a flaw. But I'll tell you what, the older I get and the more I grow, the more I realize that insecurity, my insecurity, is actually a gift because it warns me that I'm trying to do something on my own, my insecurity usually is an indication that I'm striving instead of resting in the peace that Jesus has for me. Usually when I can feel, feel that control or the manipulation or the anger rise up, it's a warning sign to me that I need to quiet down. I need to sit with my Bible, and I need to start getting curious of what do I need Jesus to do for me. Usually what I do in that moment when I'm starting to get very insecure, especially about future stuff, I just sit down with my Bible, I go to the back of the Bible in the concordance, and I start saying, Jesus, what do I need from you? And usually what I need is comfort. And I start reading those passages on comfort. And I just let Christ comfort me. Let the peace of God comfort me. See, that insecurity is going to probably be there the rest of my life. Would I like it to go away? Probably not. Because it reminds me of what I need Jesus to do for me on a daily basis. See, if I spend time with Jesus on a daily basis, that insecurity is okay. It stays in check. If I don't rely on Jesus, that insecurity is going to increase. So that's why I say it works for my advantage right now. My insecurity actually serves me. I no longer serve my insecurity like I did for many decades. My insecurity now shows me. See, that's the first reason that Jesus prays for us is because we need him on a daily basis and we need him to fulfill our needs. But the second reason that Jesus prays for us on a daily basis is because we're not capable of praying for ourselves on a daily basis. We don't have the ability to take care of all of our prayer needs on our own. I think you remember the Thursday or the the night before Jesus went to the cross. He said to his group of friends, hey, would you pray for me? He left them alone, and what'd they do? They all fell asleep. He comes back, and he says, wake up. He said, I asked you to pray for me. Pray for me. Jesus leaves. They all fall asleep. Jesus goes back, wakes him up again. Would you pray for me? Finally, Jesus gave up. It's okay, we'll move on. But see, Jesus knows. He tells us to pray for ourselves. We're not going to do it. We may do it a little bit, but we're not going to do it as much as we need to. So Jesus is like, somebody got to pray for these people. Looks like it's going to fall on me. And that's the faithfulness that Jesus does as an intercessor. He knows our weakness. He knows our limitations. So he says, I'll step in and I'll pray for you. See, the third reason that I think Jesus prays for us is because he knows we're going to sin. He knows sooner or later we're going to sin. Yeah, we may try hard not to sin, but I think all of you watching and all of you here today probably have sinned in the last week, just to guess. See, and sometimes we sin simply because we stop looking to Jesus to be our comfort or our encourager. And Jesus is well aware of that. Jesus is well aware that our sins just separate us from Him. The problem I think that we have a lot of times is we just have little sin and a little sin and a little sin, and then they add up. And sooner or later we're much more separated from Jesus than we thought. The problem is you get a lot of sin in your life and then you start to look for Jesus. You can't find Him very well because you've been separated so much from Him. But it's the faithfulness that Jesus is always praying for us. Even when we're sinning. See, part of Jesus, the reason He prays for us is because He is our advocate. In 1 John 2, verse 1, there's a powerful verse that the Apostle John writes. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. I want to talk about two parts of that verse. The first part is John says, don't sin. My dear children, I'm writing you that you will not sin. John's pretty straightforward, just don't sin. John has a pretty high standard, too, for sin. He says in the next chapter, in verse th- chapter 3, verse 4, Any, Anyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. Other translations call our sin Lawlessness. They're saying when we sin, we're basically just breaking the law that God has established for us. That by sinning, we are saying we're not going to submit to what God is telling us to do. John has a lot more to say about sin. A couple verses later in 1 John 3, 8 and 9, he says, But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. See, John's pretty serious about sin. He doesn't give you an easy way out. Basically, John is saying, if you're sinning, you're just acting like the devil. Pretty straightforward. So you're a little surprised when you read the second part of verse 2 when it, John says, But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our fit case before the Father. To be honest, I didn't really expect that part. And John's tough on sin. You kind of expect John to say, Okay, let my children don't sin. Now if you do sin, here's a list of your consequences. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Let me tell you about the punishment that you're going to experience. John doesn't do that. John says, But if anybody sins, we have an advocate. That means you sin, you're automatically assigned an advocate Jesus Christ. It doesn't say if you sin and if you beg really, really hard, maybe you'll get an advocate. It doesn't say if you sin and you repent, then you get an advocate. No, it says you sin, you're automatically assigned an advocate. You really don't expect that. But that is actually pure compassion from God. That is incredible compassion that you sin and the very first thing that God does to you says, you need an advocate. You need somebody to help you that really surprises because that's kind of the same thing that happened in the garden of eden. Adam and Eve sin, God didn't wait for them to repent and get everything right. God went to them and said, "Hey, where are you?" God extended to Adam and Eve their compassion before they got right with him. That's compassion. We wonder why Why is God so compassionate in this situation? Why doesn't he just hand out some big punishment? Say, if you sin, bang. Here's your consequence. I told you not to sin. You should not have been so irresponsible. Here's your consequence. See, in some ways, John's showing us the compassion of of God And he's showing us the grace of God. But he's also showing us that at our time of sin, we need compassion more than we need punishment. At the time of our sin, what God is saying is you need more freedom from your sin than you need punishment. You need me to liberate you from your sin more than you need to be punished. That's the compassion of God when we sin, to step in and say, you need freedom more than you need punishment. And I come here to give you the freedom. See, God knows if we are going to stop sinning, the only way we're going to do it is if we have an advocate that comes alongside of us. See, the thing is, when we start sinning, we're probably never going to stop. Once you get on that roll of start sinning, you're not going to stop unless an advocate comes alongside of you and starts encouraging you to stop sinning. Unless an advocate comes alongside of you and encourages you to walk in the truth. See, it's an interesting Greek word they use there for Jesus being an advocate. It's the word paraclete, which is also where we get the word Holy Spirit. That word is used five times in the New Testament. One time it's used to refer to Jesus as an advocate. The other four times it's about the Holy Spirit being an advocate. So we kind of see the role of the Holy Spirit and Jesus sometimes looking very similar. But see, I think why the author wants us to understand that Jesus is the advocate and not the Holy Spirit is the advocate is because Jesus is still fully God and still fully man. See, Jesus comes to be our advocate because he remembers what it's, he knows what it's like to be a human being. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to face rejection. He knows what it's like to experience shame. He knows what it's like to be human. And that's hard. So Jesus slides in at this point to be the advocate because he can understand exactly what you're going through. And that's the best advocate to have on your side, one that understands what that's like. See, I think the Bible wants us to see when Jesus comes as our advocate, there's a solidarity that he does when he comes with us. He says, yeah, I get it. I get what you're going through. I know that's hard. Now, Jesus never sinned, but he can identify with how that feels to be tested. And then he encouraged us to say, you can stop sinning. There's a better way to do this. And I think it's just so beautiful that when you sin, you're automatically assigned that advocate. That God just comes and does that immediately for us. See, there's no place in the Bible that says that once you're saved, all your vulnerabilities towards sin or all your temptations towards sin or all your proclivities towards sin, they go away. It doesn't say that. Instead, sometimes even, even though we have been saved and regenerated and we, we we have restoration, some of us we still struggle. Some of you may still struggle. Temptations are still there. And sometimes we do sin. And that's where Christ's advocacy comes in. Because he pleads, he reminds us of what Jesus, has, what, he reminds us what he has done for us. He reminds us that our sin has been paid for. But he encourages us to stop sinning. It's only the kindness of God that will lead us to repentance. It's only the kindness of Jesus that will lead us to repentance. See, Jesus has to intercede for us because we'd never do it on our own. Jesus has to be our advocate because we never could be our own advocate. I like how Dane Ortland writes in his book. He says, fallen human beings are natural self-advocate. It flows out of us. Self-exonerating and self-defending. See, we all have this tendency when we're faced with our own sin, we try to explain it away. We try to minimize it. See, when we're our own advocate, we actually get in more trouble on our own because we ignore what is really truthful. And we hide behind our own defense of making excuses or explaining what we did and why we do it. See, that's why Jesus has to be our advocate because he's the only one that's going to speak the truth. So Jesus steps into our situation and he starts speaking the truth for to us. See, sin is a result of Jesus not meet of us not going to Jesus to have him meet every single one of our needs. See, usually our sin is because we didn't go to Jesus to meet that need. We went to somebody else or we went to another place or maybe another profession. And it's a beautiful thing that when we sin, God immediately brings us the one that we are really looking for the whole time. That immediately when we sin, God says, here's Jesus. This is what you've been looking for. He doesn't punish. He says, here's what you're looking for. I found what you're looking for. Here it is. That's compassion. That's kindness. You sin against God, and he says, here's what you were looking for. He's right next to you. He's before you. He's behind you. He's surrounding you. That's the Jesus who went to the cross, who is still leading us, taking us on this journey so someday our name can be written in Hebrews 11 that we can be known as people who had great faith that endured difficult situations not because of our self-sufficiency, but because of our reliance on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus went before us and after us and he went on our side. That's the beautiful Jesus that we get to follow. We've been closing these services for the last few weeks by Libby and Jake singing. And Libby's singing the blessing this week. And I, I want to do it... Kind of we've done this before. If you want to stand and sing and join them, great. If you want to sit in your seat and just be ministered to you by the music, that's great. But let's take the time during this last song just to maybe sit or stand. And just say, Jesus, why am I here today? And what do you want to speak to me about this message today? What part of your kindness do you want me to see today? The fact that Jesus intercedes for us and he's an advocate for us, those are beautiful characteristics of what Jesus does. I mean, I I would have just been happy with the atonement. That would have been good enough. But Jesus keeps going on and giving us more and more and more. So let's end this service with them singing and let God minister to us through the blessing. So Father, I do thank you for today. God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. That he is our advocate. And that he is our intercessor. God, that's just amazing. That when we sin, you come in and say, this is exactly what you need. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to each one of us. God, I pray that you would help us to grow in understanding of your provision for each of us. That we would fall in deeper love with Jesus as we reflect on his love and care for each of us. God, help remove anything that would separate us from seeing Jesus clearly. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together. And God, I pray that as Libby and Jake minister to us in this last song, that you would send your Holy Spirit to paraclete for each of us, to minister to each of us, that you draw us closer to Jesus, draw us closer to you, and help us to fully rely on you, maybe in a way that we didn't do when we walked in here. God, would you minister to each of us right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children.
0: Thank you for leading us in worship. Please stand for the benediction. For those of you at home, thank you for joining us. Hear the word of God in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful week.